you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. first service. You guys look fantastic, and man, I, I just, I, I was overwhelmed yesterday. I got to be honest. Uh, we went home and uh, just kind of collapsed because it was a long morning, but I'm so proud of our church. Man, I, there's nothing like saying, you know what, we're not going to be confi- confined to the walls of a theater with Shamu on it, but we're going to make a difference. Everybody look to the right and left. <laughs> uh, we're going to make a difference with our lives. And so this is going to be something we do on a regular basis, but next semester, man, I sure would love to see some of you lead a connect group that for the, the six or eight weeks we have them, that you go downtown on Saturdays and help be a part of feeding the homeless or make it an, an, a normal thing to go to the Boys and cl- Girls Club and help kind of make that place look awesome. I, I just would like for us to, to be a church that, that is all about reaching and impacting the county that we live in. It's too easy in Orange County there, the, there's this leisure and, and, and comfort is like a gravitational pull in Orange County. And, and it's too easy to just become inward focused in everything that we do. And, 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 and sometimes, I, dare I say, even just write a check and, oh, let me just help with that. And that's good. I think we need to do that as well. But I think sometimes we just need to get a little dirty. And sometimes we need to get some work done and just say, you know what, I, I'm going to actually take a break from my normal Saturday and go help some people who don't have a normal Saturday. And it was interesting for me to go to a food bank because some of you who have been around know a little bit of my story, but I was a kid who grew up receiving from food banks. Uh, I was a kid who grew up receiving from clothing drives, uh, who lived all the way until about 15 years of age. Almost every article of clothing and shoe that I had was a hand-me-down Uh, Maybe from one of my siblings, but also maybe from somebody who just said, hey, we want to help the Robinsons out. And I had this moment in the food bank where I'm looking at the racks of of beans and and food and pears, and it just hit me. What an amazing journey to now be able to just simply be a part of the solution for somebody who might have a story just like me. And I don't want us to forget that or take for granted what we have. One of our culture points is that we're going to be radically generous because we can. Just because we can. So I'm proud of you as a church, but let's let that continue on in everything that we do. Is that cool? Can we do that? Can I get a what, what from you peeps? Awesome. We're here on week three of Wonder Life. I'm super excited about it. We've been, as a church, going through this workbook, um, curriculum, if you will, but uh, it's, it's so much more than that. Our connect groups are meeting throughout the weeks at various times of the week in various regions. And if you haven't jumped in, there's still time for you to jump in. And we're exploring this as well uh, as a church uh, uh, during our sermon series. And I just, uh, this really is about two things. It's uh, not really two things. It's, it's what, that what they call is this. It's a not-so-perfect guide to who you are and why you're here. And it's really circled around two questions. Who am I and why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? These questions have been kind of plaguing, if you will, humanity forever, literally forever. And so what this is not is some kind of hyped up 
super spiritual hyperbole that after four, five, or six weeks of connecting with some people, you're going to have all of the answers to all of the questions that life throws at you. No, because life is like a puzzle, and sometimes there are portions of the puzzle that are easier to put together, and some that are confusing, and then if you've ever put a puzzle together, sometimes you just find there's some pieces missing, right? And life is like that sometimes, so this isn't about getting every piece put in its perfect location, but this is about taking a journey together to discover what God wants to do in me and through me. And we're kind of doing this through four life marks, kind of benchmarks, things to aim at. And, and today we're going to unpack life mark number two. And that's simply this, that I'm unashamed about what I love and care about. I'm unashamed about what I love and care about. And today might be a little challenging. This series is different than even things that we normally do. And so uh, I'm going to do kind of like a little debunking, if you will. I'm going to kind of adjust some things and and actually today you might get frustrated with me. I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm going to share some things that you may not agree with. And I would actually even challenge you that it's okay to give some pushback. But my, my request of you would be just to lean in for a moment. Just to lean in and not just settle in, but to lean in to what God wants to do or say to us today. And I want to read a passage from uh, this book specifically. And this is the author Mike Foster is telling his story in the beginning, this is page 94, so when you get to this, this upcoming week, you'll, you'll remember exactly what, what's going down here. But Mike says this, The pressure to be significant was overwhelming and honestly made me feel like a misfit with God. Even he wanted me to be someone I wasn't. I thought, if God has a calling for me, either I didn't hear it or I didn't want it because I'm way more excited about the people I love and the things that I love to do. He's experiencing this dichotomy, this battle between the passions on the inside and what he felt or thought was the calling that God has for him. And so listen to how he continues to write. But here's what I've learned. The things that I really love to do are my calling. And they are your calling too. Our deepest passions pull us toward God and not away. Listen to this, I love this. It's not about having a God-sized dream, but loving the dream God has already put inside of us. I'm unashamed about the things that I love and care about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives today. We thank you that you're doing a work that only you can do. And so, God, I just pray that right now you'd give us strength, you'd give us insight, that we lean in and, and be excited about what it is you're going to say and going to do and just be open to what it is you want to say to us. So we don't just kind of slip into the, um, I'm at church again mode. I'm going to get to lunch and then start my work week again. But God, you do something different in our lives today. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen just means I agree. So thanks for agreeing with that prayer. Hey, listen, I, I want to share a couple things. But I, my concern is that so many of us have developed this life. Uh, of, of slipping into the mode of doing things that we thought we were supposed to do because at some point in our life, society or a well-meaning parent or a teacher, even if it wasn't just in words directly spoken but indirectly, has told us how we should live and who we should be. And the problem is, I believe, that many of us have adjusted to a life that is shaped 
by critics rather than being molded by God? And that's a question worth asking yourself today. Are you allowing the critics to shape you or God to mold you? There's an interesting study that was done back in the early 60s. A guy named George Land was hired by NASA to put this assessment, this test together. Anybody ever taken a personality profile test like Myers-Briggs or the DISC test? We love those around here. Uh, there's, if you don't love them, it's okay. We just come hang out. And I'll show you some great things. But he was hired to do uh, this, this assessment test to find the most creative engineers and scientists in the world. So NASA hired George Land to put this assessment together because they didn't just want engineers and scientists. They wanted the most creative engineers and scientists. And, and his test worked so well that he kind of branched out to see what are some other possibilities and options with this. And, and in 1968, he, he pulled together 1,600 five-year-olds and gave this same creativity test to them, 1,600 of them. And then what he did is he watched this over the next 10 years. So he tested them at five, he tested the same kids at 10, and then tested the same kids at the age 15. And look at these results. The, the, uh, the five-year-olds who were tested, 98% of them tested creative. And some of you are thinking, I know my five-year-old, he would not fit into this mold. But I was a creative five-year-old. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I, I was making up stories, and I was playing out with G.I. Joe. How many of you love G.I. Joe? Anyone? Oh, I feel there's a connection, right? But check this out. Same kids, five years later, only 30% of them tested creative. Same children. Now, we're talking about a guy who was hired by NASA to do this, and he it, it was a successful assessment. Now, check this out. The same kids, five years later, only 12% of them tested creative. It kind of was confounding for him. He, he wasn't really sure what it meant, so he literally did this same test for 280,000 adults. And look at these results. 280,000 adults and only 2% tested creative. You know, what he didn't do is unpack the reason for this, but what he did discover is the myth that you are born creative and uh, really that it's not about whether or not I've learned creativity, but that I've unlearned how to be creative. And I wonder if along the way some well-meaning teachers or even critics or cynics in the lives of, of, of us as individuals have come along and kind of put us into this box of how we're supposed to live and who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be creative. And I've wondered if it's kind of along the way begun to chop down our creativity and thus begin to chop down our dreams. And one of the things that's in this book, I pulled it right out of here, is this next slide. I want to just ask you real quickly, what chops down your dreams? Take a look at these things for a moment. What chops down your dreams? I mean, think back to when you were 5 or 10 or 15 and, and the things that you had such passion about, or maybe when you were in high school, or maybe going into high school, or maybe when you were in your first or second year of college. What are the things that have chopped down your dreams? I mean, just like literally take a moment and, and in your own mind, just kind of circle the one that applies to you. I mean, I, here's the ones that I, I put for me. These are literally in my book, um, is fear and failures. These are the two that tend to top, chop down my dreams. 
And, and usually they're, they're kind of married together. Can anybody relate to that? Like my failures have produced fear. Anybody have a list of failures in your life? Can anybody raise your hand? Three of you. Okay. Oh, thank you. Me too. Okay. Me too. And I, I just wonder if maybe many of us have kind of stuffed away dreams and passions that we have because somewhere, someone or something along the lines just kind of told us that wasn't important, that wasn't relative, that wasn't relevant to life anymore. And I think that the purpose of today, in fact, if I could just kind of give you one goal for today, it's this, and I actually have it on the screen, that I will no longer diminish, deny, or downplay my passions for the sake of others' approval. I will no longer diminish, deny, or downplay my passion for the sake of of others' approval. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people in Starbucks or in my home or uh, at a restaurant where they're just living this life that was almost handed to them by somebody else, but they feel empty on the inside because they're living somebody else's dream and not the one that God gave them. This empty shell, if you will. But look at this, what, what the passage of Scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says this, Even so, I have noticed one thing at least. This is good. It is good for people to eat. Can I get an amen for that? To drink. Just want to see who I need to be praying for specifically. (laughs) And enjoy their work under the sun during this short life God has given them. What he's saying is, look, I, I, I just know this is good. That we should eat. And I'm just grateful for that. I feel like that's my spiritual gift mix is to eat really well. Anybody else good at it, okay? And I mean good food, too. So, listen, he's saying there's some things that we should really enjoy. That we should really, this is good. And, And notice that he says, and enjoy their work. I wonder how many of us, if I had a a chance to poll you, like just one on one, would you say, man, I love my work. I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. Not are you passionate about everything you do at work, but man, I just, I am doing what I, I was made for this. But I feel like so many people are not because they failed to choose the God dream and really become transformed by what he has for them. And they've become conformed or conformed to what our culture says and dictates. Check this out. Romans 12, 2 was written for you and for me. It says this, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. Romans is saying that there's really a path that God has given to you and to me. And he's saying don't conform or copy the customs of this world. There's one path, and and there's a lot of well-meaning people that are in your life that will tell you what path you should take. There are, and the media is great at this. Listen, I, this is a true story. Don't judge me or hate me for what I'm about to tell you. This is not me. This is an article my wife found. But due to some very popular pop icons that are circulating the, the world right now, people that are influencing culture, I won't mention their names, but it starts with a K and rhymes with Smardashian. And uh, they literally are shaping, they are shaping, <laughs> they are shaping culture so much so, I, I mean, don't get mad at me, but there are literally right now, there are black market butt injections taking place because young women are wanting to look like Schmardashians. <laughs> True story. They're not approved, as you can imagine, because it's ludicrous. Can I get an amen for that? 
Yes, thank you for clapping. I, my heart's beating fast because I feel judgment and scathing review right now. I'm not doing that. I'm saying it's happening. Think about, the, the, think about going to a seedy motel to get a butt injection. This is problematic. Problematic. I'll try. Should I continue? We'll move on. Romans is saying, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And there are people everywhere screaming for our attention. Trying to tell us how to live and who to be. Look at how the scripture goes on. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Look at that. Two distinct paths. There's one that the world is going to present to you. And then there's another one that is transformed by God, where God is saying, no, no, this is the specifics. This is what I have for you. And I, I want to actually put that scripture back up for one second. Look at what it says here. And I think this is where some of us get a little challenged. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Then it says this, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck right there. So I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. The, the God's will component. Because I believe God does have something specific for each of us. But look at this next passage. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And let me just tell you what this word whatever in the original Greek, it means whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. I think sometimes we just kind of build this huge picture of what God's will for me is. And it seems so out of reach that the life that somebody else presents to us seems more attainable. So we capture that and apply it to the dreams that are in our heart. And then we live a life of emptiness, lacking fulfillment. If that's my mom, tell her I said, what's up? And then Ecclesiastes comes back and says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And I feel like that should be freedom for some of us. I think there's so many of us that have a false guilt when it comes to purpose and calling. And I think because for many of us, we have made attempts at discovering and pursuing what God has. But like that, what chops down your dream side, the failures creep in and then we just kind of don't know if we can handle that anymore. Or rejection comes in. I don't know if I can handle that anymore, so let me go after something that's a little more attainable. I just watched the movie Zootopia last night, and it's all right. It's okay. A lot of people love it. I didn't love it. I'd give it like this. That's about where it's at. But in the beginning of the movie, the, the bunny parents are talking to the bunny daughter saying, you really shouldn't have dreams because then you won't fail at them. <laughs> and it was silly. They were saying, hey, stop trying to go to the big city and make something of yourself. Just stay here and be a farmer like everybody else. <laughs> and it was like, ha, ha, ha. But so many of us live that way. So many of us live that way. And then we have false guilt about not accomplishing this thing or pursuing the passion or not having the right giftedness or the calling. And you just need to know there's no such thing as a second-class calling. No such thing. Whatever God's put in your heart, live it out. Live it out. Go for it, man. You know, I'll, I'll never forget, I, um, I was five years old. My mom and dad owned a Good Times van. Does anybody know what that is? 
Nope. Okay, two of you. This is uh, like back, the, the, like the old school vans that were huge before minivans came in and took away the manhood of men. And, and so these were old school vans, and it had wall-to-wall shag carpet, and there was these little holes in the floorboard, and you put a pole and a table. Does anybody remember this now? And then it had a couch in the back, because you didn't have to wear seatbelts back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's fine. You're going to die. And they would fold into beds, and so we would, had this nasty, it was brown, tan, and brown stripes all the way around. Like, you can... <laughs> I feel like we probably had an 8-track in there, too. I'm not even kidding. And so we were taking this Good Times van on a trip from Dallas to Florida to go to Disney World. And we were traveling on Interstate 10 through the gross state of Louisiana. And please forgive me. And there's this bridge that's like 50 miles long that goes over the marsh. And it's just, just a stretch of nothing. I was five years old, and I'm not kidding. I remember looking out the window <laughs> of this Good Times van and just saying, God, what do you want me to be when I grow up? Real story. And in, in my own five-year-old way, I don't even know if it was audible or not, but I felt like I heard God say, I've called you to be a missionary. So at the age of five, when people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say a missionary. And I was stoked about it. I want to be a missionary to Africa. But along the way, as I got a little bit older, when I would say that, people would look at me funny. And somewhere along the lines, I started shifting to say, I really want to be in the Air Force. Because of the way that people responded to me when I said that I want to be a missionary. It was just strange as a kid of seven, eight, nine, ten years of age that even then I would adjust because of people's responses to me. And I wonder how many of us might be walking through that where God's placed a dream in your heart but you've drifted away from your own issues or failures or because people are, are telling you you shouldn't appreciate or value that. And I mean, I think the scripture just saying, hey, whatever's in your hand, go for it with all that you've got. Be passionate about it. Be passionate about it. Go after it and don't, don't let something deter you or tell you you can't do this. I love what Emerson said. He says, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Nothing great was ever achieved. Man, we love to be around people who are passionate and enthusiastic about what they do. If you've ever been around my wife, she loves whatever it is she's doing all the time. It's amazing. It doesn't matter what it is. She doesn't know how to sew, but if she was sewing, she would love it. No, she said no. That, that ruins my sermon, but that's okay. <laughs> we love to be around people who are passionate, and I, I just wonder if God maybe wants to awake some passion inside of some of us today. Just kind of kickstart that passion again. And so whether you're a teacher, man, be the best thinking teacher. If you are a barista, your latte should be awesome every time. Serve with some love and like a little heart on there. And spell people's names correctly, too, I might add. If you're in finance, you should be the best thinking Excel. That's a big keypad, but you should be good at it. Are you tracking with me? No matter what it is, you should go at it as if it matters because it does. So what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What is it that you're passionate about? It doesn't have to be your vocation, but what is it that you're passionate about? I think some of us, to come back to this concept of God's will, I think some of us go, man, I'm passionate about this, but I just don't know if this is God's will for me or not. I, I'm passionate about this, but I'm just not sure if this is really what God has for me. If you grew up in church at all, there's this conundrum of God's will that is presented to you from an early age. And I just got to be honest with you, it's overwhelming sometimes. For me, I kind of look at it like, have you guys, I don't know if we have these out here or not. I've only been here about five years. Have y'all ever been in a corn maze before? 
Okay, four of you have. Awesome. You know what a maze is? And corn. <laughs> now you know. So they take this huge field where corn is planted, and they have a maze. It's life-size. The corn stalks are seven, eight feet tall, and the maze is literally like three acres large. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. Uh, you, and literally, you get in there, and like you go, okay, should I, I turn right? And then I get there, and it's a dead end. So I come back, and okay, this is where I start. I'm going to turn left, and I get there, and it's a dead end. And sometimes that's what God's will feels like to us. I just don't, how do I know which direction I'm supposed to go? If I'm supposed to have this unique calling in the future, then I need to know so I can aim at it. If I don't, I'm going to miss it. And that, heaven forbid, is the greatest atrocity I can commit to miss God's will. And man, that's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. So many people are actually paralyzed. They're paralyzed by this concept or this notion of God's will as if God's will is like a, a crossword puzzle or a, a magic eight ball. Like it's a secret like, equation of this is exactly uh, what God's specific plan for the entirety of your future is. And it's paralyzing. But can I just be honest with you? I actually don't believe that God has a secret will that he expects you to mysteriously find and then follow. Some of you might have a hard time hearing that right now. I don't believe that God has a secret plan or a secret will that he expects you to mysteriously find and then follow. Now, listen, hang on. Before you actually decide to leave our church, I do believe 100% that God has a plan and a will for your life. You can look back. Look at me in the eyes. Lean in. Don't, don't get too angry. You can't listen. You can look back over the course of your life, and you can see the hand of God all over it. I promise you, you can you are not here by accident. Every moment in your life is culminated to this moment right here, and it does matter. But I think we overcomplicate God's will, and then it paralyzes us. Because we're thinking we have to discover everything God has for us in the future, but God is not expecting you to, to discover the direction for your life ahead of time. He's not expecting you, listen, I can feel the tension in this room. He's not expecting you to discover the direction of your life ahead of time. Listen, he will help you make decisions along the way, but he has never tasked you with figuring out the future before it happens. He's never tasked you with figuring out the future before it happens. And so many of us are paralyzed that we're going to open the wrong business, date the wrong person, go to the wrong school, join the wrong church, retire at the wrong time, and we just sit there doing what everybody else has done, living a life that's not transformed by who God is. And you know what that produces? Anxiety. And anxiety is living out the future before it gets here. Listen, I didn't have time today to unpack this biblically all the way for you. I'm going to bring some scriptures in, but for those of you that are a little frustrated at what I'm talking about and you want to do some homework, check out Matthew chapter 6. Just read through that thing, and Jesus is going to unpack his heartbeat for discovering the will of God, and you'll find that nowhere in that does he actually talk about discovering 
the future that God has for you. It's interesting. Can you, can you see maybe that there's a, a possibility that so many of us have been so focused on the perfection of the future of God's will that we're missing the moment we're living in now? Paul talks about this. He talks about this in uh, 1 Thessalonians verses four, or chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this. It says, for this is the will of God. What? What? I mean, think about that. For this is the will of God. He's about to, this is the apostle. This is the scripture written for you and for me. This is God's word for you and for me. And he says, hey, this is the will of God. Oh, snap. And then look, look at what it says. It doesn't say discover the exactness of your unique calling and then pursue that degree path and choose no other career other than that or you will be outside the will of God. What does it say? That you should be consecrated, separated and set apart for pure and holy living. You know what that means? The will of God is that you would just be transformed by God. You know, another way you can say that is that you would be his. There's nothing in here about the future. There's nothing in there about what you should name that, that nonprofit you want to start or that company that you're praying about beginning or selling or jumping into or moving or whatever. It's not about that. It's saying, hey, just be God's, be his. Be consecrated. Listen, one chapter later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at what it says here. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is confusing for so many of us. We've been thinking that God's will is discovering how many kids I should have and should I quit my job? Should I live in Orange County or Fresno? And we already know the answer to that question. And uh, I mean, I mean, it's up to you, but we know the answer to that question. But what is it saying? Sorry for those of you that live in Fresno or listening to this podcast today. See, rejoice always. To find joy in the midst of the craziest circumstances. To pray continually. And this is not like, some people get a little bit tripped up on this. It's like, well, I, I pray in the morning and then now I'm eating breakfast. I've stopped praying and then now I'm driving to work and I'm not praying. I get to work and I'm mad at my boss, so now I'm praying. And then I get back to my cubicle. I'm not praying continually. And that's not what this, this is not an activity. This is a state of mind. This pray continually is being constantly aware that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in my life. It's that idea of surrender again. Like just today, maybe, God, maybe God's will isn't about tomorrow. In fact, I think Jesus is the one who said, why are you worried about tomorrow? I take care of the lilies of the field and the sparrows, and aren't they the least in the kingdom? And don't you think I love you even more than a flower, and yet you're worried about tomorrow? Maybe some of us have shelved the passion, the dreams, and the calling because we have confused it with the perfection of the future. And God's just saying, you know what would be awesome to me? Would you just be 100% mine today? 
And whatever's in your hand, do it with all of your might. That would be awesome to me. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. Nothing about the future. So what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What are the things that that maybe when you were 5 or 10 or 20 or 36, you kind of shelved it because somebody responded or said something or failure kind of eclipsed the dream. What are you passionate about? You know, I love what the book says. He, Mike Foster, he, he said this, and in, in, I forget what page it's on. He says, your passion may not make you famous, but it will make you faithful. Because you were created for that. My hope and prayer is that at the end of this, not that every puzzle piece is in place, but that you go, man, I was made for this. I was made for this thing. And I just got to tell you, at, in my journey, and it is full of, of horrible pages and chapters that I, I'm ashamed and regret. But there's some great things in there as well. And, and I, as I, God spoke to me, however he did it, whether it's in my heart or I don't even know, but as a five-year-old, I knew God planted this thing to be a missionary. And then it got convoluted in this, maybe it's Air Force, maybe it's missionary, I'm not sure. And then ninth, tenth grade rolls around and and then God just kind of solidifies this thing of, I've called you to be a missionary to your generation. And I start pursuing that. And that, my wife and I became youth pastors because it was, we were young and we were pastoring our generation. And then in 2006, I'm at the ripe old age of 26 and I know so much and I'm full of so much wisdom. That's the last point right there. God just kind of dropped this dream in my heart. To maybe plant a church. Maybe in California. And I was convinced in the spring of 2006 that by the fall of 2006, we would move to San Diego and start this church. Thank God we did not. I would probably be in an insane asylum. <laughs> My wife would be gone and I wouldn't know all of your beautiful faces. But isn't that like us to be so quick to put the pieces together? Because just a few months later, I literally had a dream. At 3.10 a.m., I push back from my pillow. I wake up my wife and say, I just had a dream that our friend David Wright called our current pastor and asked us to come be his youth pastors in Phoenix. Could you do that, babe? She goes, only if it's God. I go, me too. Phoenix sounds horrible. Guess what? He called my pastor three months earlier and asked us to come be his youth pastors. Can't make that stuff up. Can you imagine if we had moved to San Diego? We got to Arizona. God did amazing things in our life. We learned how to start a church. My sister met her husband. Two kids later, you're welcome, Angela. Gonna kind of change things up today a little bit. Can you imagine what would have transpired if 
I had just tried to put the pieces together. The future that I would have created under the guise of God's will. And God was just saying, I just want you to do great with what's right here in your hands. Be passionate about this and don't be ashamed about what it is. Don't be ashamed about it, but just be passionate. I'll take care of the pieces for the future. But just right here, right now, love what you do. This journey for me has been amazing and horrible. As one person said, beautiful and brutal, brutal. But I wouldn't have it any other way because I was made for this. What are you passionate about? What are you living for? What are the things that society or culture may have shifted or changed or failures or rejection have caused you to shelf it and just set it to the side? What are those things? Because I feel like God wants to awaken that passion again. Not because of a book we're reading through with Connect Groups, but because God created you with that. And he's like, that's the one. That's the thing. That's it right there. Some of you might know. Some of you might, it's been so long, you, you need to go back to the drawing board again, but you know it's passion for your God. Are you living your life for it? Or is something else taking its place? How many of you in this room would just say, man, I'd like to be living my life for what I'm passionate about? Would you raise your hand? Let me just pray for us. Would you bow your heads? God, I just thank you that you've created us with passions. You've created us, God, with just these in, innate desires to do something that gifted, that callingness, or what, what, that whatever it is on the inside, you have created us with that. And, and God, some of us have shelved it and, and let it just kind of slip by the wayside. But today, I feel like you just want to awaken that in our lives. I feel like you just want to kind of re-inspire that on the inside. And, and I just want to come against right now in prayer anything that a critic has said into the lives of, of the people seated in this room today that has said you can't accomplish that you can't do that you're not smart enough you've missed the boat you don't know what you're talking about and i just want to speak the truth of god's word into you that god is for you his plans are to prosper you and to keep you to give you a hope and a future. I just want to silence the lies of the enemy that would say the failures of your past will continue to be the failures of your future. And I just want to speak hope into your lives right now. To allow God to come in and awaken the passion once again. On the inside, take it off the shelf and run hard after it. We're passionate and that all of us in this room would truly be unashamed about what I love and care about. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, before I go any further, we this is why we exist. I just want to talk to some of you in this room who may be wavering in your faith some. Or you don't really know where you stand with Jesus. And maybe even it's hard to come into church today thinking, I don't know if I can do this thing. So many people feel this big separation, this gap between them and God, and maybe I try hard, or I've got too much in my past, or I don't belong in church, and man, that's not God's plan for you. In fact, here's the great thing. The, the Bible talks about that there is a thing that separates called sin, and there's consequences for that. But the Bible also talks about the radical solution of Jesus. 
who lived a sinless life and paid a sinner's debt. Clothed him in blood. And here's the great part. Paving a way for you to live a wonderful life. But there's a starting point. It's a simple starting point. It's not membership in a church. It's not heritage. It's not eradicating your past. It's just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, I want to give you a chance to do that. We're not going to embarrass you. You don't have to get out of your seat. In fact, you're going to pray this right in your own heart. Because he's the one that matters, not anybody else. So if you're here today, everybody, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, would you pray it with me today? And if you're here today and you've been running from God, running from calling, running from uh, maybe even just flirting with Christianity and it's time to come back to him, would you just make this prayer your own? you're here, you've never prayed that prayer, you need to pray it again for the first time in a long time, just in your own heart, just say this prayer with me, just say, God, I know you're real, I know you love me, God, I've got sin in my life, would you forgive me, I need you, thank you for giving me Jesus, and just make this your own statement in your own heart to say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.